if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And hour number two starts at nine minutes past 10 o'clock. Thank you for being with us on AM 1420. The answer. It is a Tuesday, the 15th morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord 2020. And Tuesday is a great day because that means it's cursing out day. For me, it's a, it's a bonus really because I already had a cursing out day yesterday, a shorter version of it on the Hugh Hewitt program. But, uh, for you, you get Peter in his full effect today on the authority. Pete, good morning. Good to talk to you, my friend. How are you? Bob, I'm doing great. How about yourself? Uh, I'm, I'm good, Pete. Um, you know, uh, I guess, um, and I guess that's a, a relative term right now, uh, Peter Kirstenau, because I just don't know what to believe on so many elements about what's going on in this country as it pertains to its leadership. Pete, before we start on that question, and yesterday, of course, we know the electors uh, cast their ballots, and Joe Biden is officially uh, going to be certified as the president uh, because of the on the basis of those votes. President Trump um, promised about two and a half, three weeks ago, that if the Electoral College votes for Joe Biden and certifies him, he will concede. So some some are saying that should be now. Some are saying, no, that doesn't have to be until the 23rd when these uh, electoral bo- votes are uh, turned into the Senate president and the archivist. But nonetheless, there is a question about the fight going forward. And before we get to that question, Peter, I want to ask you about William Barr. Um, the Attorney General of the United States has been, a, he resigned yesterday, uh, effective December 23rd. Uh, he has been, I think, a terrific Attorney General. I think he has done some very, very good things to steady the Department of Justice, especially in the chaos of the Jeff Sessions situation. Uh, not that I want to rehash all of that. I know uh, we have talked about Jeff Sessions many times in the past, but I think Bill Barr did a really good job of steadying an unstable situation, and I think he's been a stalwart uh, protector of the Constitution for the United States people however pete bill barr reportedly knew all about this investigation that is just now being released by the media into uh hunter biden's financial dealings with foreign countries and foreign companies be it tax or other uh investigations and uh while the media buried that information prior to the election that was you know put forth by the New York Post the rest of the media buried it uh social media wouldn't allow it to be posted bill barr did nothing to say there is to confirm 
confirmed the existence of evidence that has been discovered by subpoena from a grand jury investigation. Uh, President Trump, I believe, was rightfully furious with Bill Barr for that. So I guess my question to you is, his resignation right now, how do you view it? Do you view this as being a, uh, uh, in a, an acknowledgement, perhaps, of mistakes, or just maybe the, uh, maybe the opposite, that he's, he knows he did the right thing, and if President Trump wants to criticize him for that, he probably shouldn't stay on through the end of the term? Yeah, I, you know, uh, Bob, uh, first of all, that was a pretty good review of the, the state of play. Um, I don't read as much into it as maybe some others do. I think that, okay. first of all, I agree. Bill Barr's been a very good attorney general, um, but he has known about the Hunter Biden investigation or some aspect of it since 2018. Now, there's a protocol at Maine Justice that is in Washington, D.C., that states that they're not going to be revealing information that could impact an election 60 days before that election. Nothing is going to be revealed. They don't want to have any kind of untoward effect on how that election is is perceived, how the candidates are perceived. That's an internal rule. That's nothing that's a law. Okay, so that doesn't necessarily have to be followed. But I think when Barr first came in, he saw that the Justice Department was playing all kinds of games politically. And so he wanted to restore some semblance of, um, for lack of a better word, integrity um, or regularity in how it proceeds. But 60 days was, you know, you go back to maybe September or so. Um, this investigation had been going on long before then. And this is a cataclysmic type of investigation. Regardless of what the mainstream media and big tech are trying to do to suppress it, on its face, looking at it objectively, the fact that the son of uh, what appears to be the incoming president is so compromised, but in addition to that, there's significant amount of evidence listening to Bob Alinsky, simply because the, president doesn't, uh, the press doesn't report upon it doesn't mean it didn't happen. But you look at what right. Bob Alinsky was saying and all the emails and everything, Biden himself is compromised by our greatest adversary, if not enemy, in the world. It's completely compromised. It's really astonishing. You look at the one email with respect to the offices and the keys that uh, Hunter Biden wanted to get for Jill and Joe Biden for his company that was receiving payments from the Communist Party of China. Stunning. Back in a saner which is era, why, Which is why the Chinese contact, by the way, was also on that list of getting a key. They were going to share this <clears throat> office, this workspace, exactly right. with the Chinese emissary, for crying out loud. Yeah, this is this is stunning kind of stuff. In a, in a saner, more adult era, we understood that nothing like this could happen. We could not have allowed someone to ascend to such a high office with this type of baggage. And this baggage is putting it very, very, very mildly. Uh, in addition to Swalwell and everything else, this is disqualifying. So it's curious to me that um, I think Barr was hypersensitive to the politicization of justice, which had been going on. But this is something that I'll use Mark Stein's term of the one-way liberal ratchet. The liberals come in and they don't care. They pull DOJ and everything else, policies, everything, way over to the left. And then we come in, try to restore integrity to it, and simply stand pat. Then the Democrats come in again, pull it further to the left. We come in, stand pat. So after a few election cycles, we're way over to the left. It's never been corrected. And that's a real problem. We are fighting you know, 
supposedly by rules that have been established and are in place and agreed upon, but the left doesn't, and we're getting our butts handed right. to it as to us as a result. There has That's to a be a realization that we are in a different environment than we were in the 1950s, 60s, even 70s, 80s, and 90s. This is completely different. This is not a fair fight at all. And if we don't recognize that, we will lose. By that, I mean the country loses. Not that the right loses, the left loses, the country loses, because a number of people are looking at what's going on right now, and they don't recognize many of our institutions. Yeah, this yeah, is I, 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 if we lose as conservatives, so. the country does lose. There's no question about it because we're the only ones trying to actually protect and uphold the Constitution. And Pete, this isn't constitutional, but this is just more, um, however you want to define the role of the media, the fourth estate. There was a time in this country where if a reporter, let alone more than one reporter, sniffed uh, some sort of scandal, some sort of corruption, some sort of, uh, you know, uh, 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 violation of, of any rules of any kind whatsoever um, involving a major presidential candidate or a family member, they would have been all over it. They would have fought to be the first one to bring it up, to, to cement their legacy as a great reporter. And Pete, they all knew because the New York Post actually broke it and they intentionally buried it. Now, after the election, now after even, you know, the uh, certification of the election so to speak by way of the electoral college now suddenly the media is out there hey you know look at this hunter biden is under investigation for tax fraud he's under investigation for uh his dealings with foreign countries and foreign companies and we are all they're acting as though this is reporting they buried this so that they would get a political out a political outcome that they wanted and now they're going to go ahead and report on this because this is the old trojan horse theory joe biden was the great big wooden horse that they propped up uh despite his rambling and his incoherence they propped him up wheeled him through the gates and out pops kamala harris now they have no problem whatsoever tearing hunter biden and thus joe biden down my concern here bigger picture peter kirsten now is the media this fourth estate that once actually drove itself to uh, to holding politicians and elected officials and corporations accountable for misdeeds now is actually complicit in helping them carry out their misdeeds if it helps them reach a political uh, uh, outcome that they that they desire. Another good summary, and that's exactly right. The fact of the matter is we always knew that the media was biased and had been acting in a biased fashion <clears throat> for a long, long time. Heck, centuries, frankly. Uh, they've become a little bit more biased over the last few decades, but with the advent of Donald Trump, all pretense has been abandoned. They completely ripped off the mask, and they don't care that you see that they've ripped off the mask. That's kind of frightening. Big tech has so much power over the information flow in this country, and they actively have been suppressing it during the Trump era, and it's reached an incredible peak during this entire election cycle. They are not just suppressing news anymore. They're not simply selecting which news to report. They are actively lying about the news. And when I say lie, it's not merely in the past you would say, well, their report was false. False presuming or comprehending the possibility that they made a mistake or there's some error there of some nature, whatever it may be, or may have some slight bias to it. Now it is flat out lying where they know what the truth is and they tell you the opposite. It is truly Soviet in its approach. This is propaganda. There's no no varnishing this. You can't whitewash this stuff. This is lying on steroids and 
it, as we know, it has an outcome on the effect on the outcome of the election. We have seen at least two polls now where mm-hmm. Biden voters were asked a series of questions about Trump's accomplishments and Biden's infirmities, and including the Hunter Biden laptop. Something like 40 plus percent of Biden voters were completely oblivious to the Hunter Biden laptop. And depending upon which poll you look at, Anywhere from 8 to 17% of Biden voters would have changed their vote had they known just about that. Just that That's one the thing. And that would have changed That's the, the money outcome. Line. That, yeah. that would have changed the outcome of the election. But there was, Bob, there were at least five or six other issues that the media either failed to report on or reported falsely on, or let's be plain, lied about, lied about. that would have changed <laughs> the outcome of the election. Cumulatively, who knows what would have happened. Now, I happen to believe, and you know, I, I, I hate to engage in conspiracy theories, but I have significant doubts about the outcome of this, this election, regardless of what the media has done. Well, but let's let's, uh, is- let's take our time out here, Pete, and talk about that, about the outcome of this election, and if it is now all over uh, because of the electoral votes being cast yesterday and certifying Joe Biden as the winner. Uh, There are some who are saying this is not over yet, that December 23rd and January 6th remain key points in this battle before the January 20th inauguration. I want to find your thought, get your thoughts on whether or not these are valid and legitimate and where we go from here as we continue with Peter Kirsten on AM1420 The Answer. Okay, 1025 now. We continue with Peter Kersenow, um, United States Commission on Civil Rights, Cleveland Attorney, columnist, and uh, best-selling author as well. Pete, I want to... I presented this to you the way it was presented to me, Peter Kersenow, and that is uh, a message or a statement made by one of the Trump legal team, which is Jenna Ellis. Um, I have endeavored to verify that this came from her. I can find nothing indicating this came from Jenna Ellis whatsoever. However... It does make some statements about the, this process that I want to know if you can verify or whether you, whether you agree with or basically how you receive this. Uh, and this is the way, it, the way it reads. Today, the Electoral College votes will be sealed and sent by special carrier to Washington, where they will remain sealed until January 6th, when the House and the Senate come to a joint session to open the votes. The media is going to make you believe it's all over, and Joe Biden is now officially president. On January 6th, Nancy Pelosi will sit down with the rest of the House members. Vice President Mike Pence will have all the authority as president of the Senate for that day and will accept or reject motions to decide the next steps by the Assembly. Remember, Mike Pence is in full authority that day as written in the Constitution. The ballots will be certified today, but it means nothing. The votes will be opened, and at that point, one House member could and most likely will raise their hand to object to the VP on the state of electors' votes. That objection can cover fraud or any other reason they choose, and with the seconding of that objection, everything changes. The House and Senate will divide for two hours to debate, then vote. So I'm going to stop it there, basically to say, Peter, or to give you a chance to discuss this, is this procedurally accurate? Um, is it is there a chance that even after the Electoral College votes, after those votes are presented to the archivist and the Senate president um, on the 23rd of December, that on January 6th, somebody just has to question or challenge this, and then they go into debate as to whether or not they accept the Electoral College's findings or vote, essentially. Uh, Pete, what can you tell us, if anything, on that? Yeah, here's what I, I would suggest to you, um, and it's a, an answer that people hate from lawyers, and that is, if anyone tells you with any degree of certainty 
how this thing will play out, uh, that person is delusional. Um, we have the Constitution. The Constitution says how the electors are chosen and what the outcome is in certain respects. There are also certain rules that I've examined related to how the procedure will be discharged when it goes to the Senate and what type of input the House of Representatives will have. But the first thing you take a look at is the primary document, and that's the Constitution. And I have it in front of me. I always have it with me, or almost always have it with me. And it is true. What we've had is each state has voted, and at least based on the votes of the electors of each state, it appears as if Biden has reached 270. But that doesn't end it at that point. Um, the electors are the equal of the number of senators and representatives for each state. That's certified, then transmitted to the president of the Senate. That's Mike Pence. He then counts those. He opens up the, the little envelope and counts them to verify. The Constitution says the person with the most votes shall be president. Okay? But it doesn't end there. All right? There's another codicil to that in the Constitution. Not talking about any rules that the House or the Senate may have promulgated in support thereof. But it says after the count, okay, and the person who has the most votes shall be president, it says, but, but, in choosing the president, the votes shall be taken by states, the representation from each state having one vote. Okay. Um, the thought there being that it's not the number of individual elector votes, it's the number of votes by state legislature. And right now, there's a majority of states that have Republican legislatures, Republican-dominated legislatures. So what some have argued, and that's the, if this is Janet Ellis's post, what she is arguing is that they are not constrained at that point. Each state delegation, again, the majority of whom, right now it's 26-23, in January it'll be 30-20, both in favor of Republicans, that they can cast a vote that reflects their majority and thereby choose the president of the United States. Now, <clears throat> what I can tell you is two things about that. Number one is we've never done anything remotely like this before. The closest we've come is that I could find was two instances in 1876 and maybe something that's a correlative in 1960. But nothing precisely in the fashion of what the putative Janet Ellis has had to say. So that's number one. Number two is the human factor here. For those of us who believe that this has been an incredibly flawed election, both from the suppression aspect to the fraud aspect, to the, you, name it, you name it, um, we hope that the president at some point can prevail, and I'm one of those who will keep fighting to the last dog is standing. But then there's also rationality and practicality. A number of us are frustrated that so many courts have just summarily said, no, we're not going to be listening to whatever appeals that the president, uh, uh, his campaign has, has made to the courts. But the human element is we are depending on members of Congress to, first of all, vote, uh, voice an objection and then cast votes that at least nominally appear to be contrary to the certified electors, the state electors from each state. Just like a, an individual judge in the many cases that have been dismissed, think about it from the human element. You're an individual judge sitting in your chambers all by yourself in a nation of 330 million people, and you've got the ability to, if not overturn the election, to at least put it into great, great doubt. 
um, it takes a lot of guts to do something like that. And um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that there's going to be that type of intestinal fortitude to take that place. I even don't if it's either, Peter, viable. but uh, let, me jump in. let me jump in because of the time here, and i got to get to our news. I don't know either, but I know a lot of people who want to take up that fight. I shouldn't say a lot of people. I, I know some people, and one in particular who I spoke with yesterday, and that's Congressman Jim Jordan, who wants that January 6th fight. We'll pick this up right after the news on AM 1420 The Answer. There are two sides to every story. There's the stream media side, and then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Okay, 1037. Now we continue one more segment with Peter Kirsten, our guest. He is a member of the United States uh, Commission on Civil Rights, among other titles. And Pete, uh, so you just give a very good summary in response to the... Um, Again, it was purported to be generalist. I do not believe, especially the more I read it, uh, it's a little bit colloquial for, for a legal professional like her. I don't think that is her, those are her words, but, um, the statements, I think somebody tried to attach her name to it to give them credibility because the statements themselves do sound like there are, that is the procedure and there is some merit to it, as you just described. Now, as you also described, Pete, it's never happened before. Uh, you looked back at 1960 and then you look back in the 1800s for some relevant corollary. Um, so let's talk about, um, the likelihood of this happening. Jim Jordan came on with us yesterday, as he always does, and he said he wants to take this to January 6th. He said there is no reason we can't and shouldn't have an open debate on the House floor and have the Senate debate on their floor and actually get, uh, you know, and, 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 and let the, the delegations vote, as you said, one per, one per state. And then we'll see what happens. Um, so given the fact that there is a pretty prominent member of the House, uh, you know, he's a committee, ch- or a committee uh, ranking mm-hmm. member, uh, like Jim Jordan, who's pushing for this, what would you say is the likelihood that this comes to pass rather than this just becomes accepted the way it normally has been? The Electoral College voted and we all go on with our day. Um, I'll tell you that I'm just observing and listening to, you know, last uh, weekend was the first time I've given a speech since coronavirus began to a group of people. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that the Republican base is motivated beyond belief. And I'm not even sure that our elected representatives truly understand the depth of the anger and fury. I would say when you see the polls that say 78% of Republicans think the election was stolen, uh, I think that understates it. Uh, I'm surprised it's not 99%. And what, one of the frustrations that many of these people have, and I'm speaking for myself also, is even if the law is being followed, it, it appears as if there is the, the, the consequence is that you can engage in massive fraud or, and or irregularities that affect the outcome of the election, and there's no remedy. What's the remedy then? And it encourages further acts like this, because if there's no remedy or uh, there's no penalty for doing this, then of course it's going to happen over and over again. There's no backstop. I think for political hygiene alone, it's imperative that Republicans stand up, stand firm, and say, have a debate, as Jordan has said, even if the ultimate outcome doesn't change the election, I think the process, I used to have a, a well, it wasn't a law professor, he was a law professor at Cornell, but it was not, I was not taking a law, law, law course, it was an undergrad course at the Cornell Law School, and that professor used to talk about process values constantly. 
process is extremely important, not just the outcome. And here there needs to be a debate in Congress among senators and congressmen that fully explore everything that happened, because the media is not providing that for us. None of the other institutions are providing that for us. And there's got to be that type of therapeutic outlet. And I'm not just saying just going through an exercise, because it is conceivable that there could be some kind of change in what happens. I don't think so. I mean, I'm skeptical about that. I think, unfortunately, although some Republicans have been radicalized beyond where they've been in the past, that there are still so many of them that just simply want to go away. They want the whole thing to go away and be done with. Uh, you know, they're concerned about their own re-elections, and they may be in tight races, and they don't want to be seen as being out front on this particular divisive issue. Nonetheless, it's important for the United States of America that what happened throughout this entire election cycle, from the use of coronavirus and the riots and... Um, uh, the suppression by the media, the lying by the media, all of the things that resulted in perhaps the most infirm candidate that we have seen in a century or more ascending to the White House. And consider that this individual who has had the lowest voter enthusiasm ratings in history, in history, prevails over the guy who had the highest voter enthusiasm ratings in history, despite the fact that the former campaigned from his basement the entire time, despite the fact that the former couldn't get more than, say, 40 to 50 people to come to his rallies. But all of a sudden, he gets millions and millions of votes, more black votes than Obama got. It, it, the the number of anomalies, and what, that's not even those are even the greatest anomalies. But the number no, of anomalies, I know, I know, and, and we've listed and those. The, but I don't want to go through all of them now, Pete, because I want to I want to move on to something with you, if I can, because sure. uh, of our time here. I want to get this in. Um, let's say we can't win that fight, and let's say we can't win the Georgia fight, and uh, all three. Uh, uh, Areas of federal government, meaning the two of the three uh, legislative bra- or two of the three branches, rather legislative and executive, are all Democrat, and uh, and that means including both houses, both chambers of the Congress. Pete, Alan West is among those. He's one of the first um, former elected officials, now Texas GOP chair, to say something that some media members have said, and that is to float the idea of secession. He said maybe it's time to form a new union of states that is dedicated to our Constitution, since other states are simply not. Um, he was asked about that on Fox, by the way. Let me share this with you before I ask you the question. This is, uh, this is Well, that's exactly what we're talking about. When you talk about what is happening here, we need to have states that honor our Constitution. And I know a lot of people are throwing out this secession word. I've never said anything about secession. I talked about law-abiding states. I talked about them forming a union, an alliance, because uh, they're the ones that are abiding by our rule of law. If anyone is out there seceding from the United States of America, it's the states that are violating our rule of law. So he's not saying we would be the ones seceding if we see no pathway forward, um, but they would have seceded from us by violating the Constitution and going off into an entirely different direction. You know that after the Constitutional Convention, Ben Franklin was asked, what have you guys created? What sort of government have you created? And his answer was a republic if you can keep it. Um, 
this may be the moment in which you say we couldn't keep it if uh if they pack courts if they create new states if they uh if they uh, allow uh, uh open borders if they allow illegal aliens to have the vote we will never win another election again single party socialist rule will dominate and we may well have been able to un uh, uh, been unable to keep the republic how do you feel about that type of talk about a state like Texas leading the way and saying we're going to continue to follow follow the Constitution down here if this is what we have to do other states want to join us if this is what we have to do to keep and maintain that call ourselves something else then that's what we do yeah for I, I don't think that Ben Franklin was talking about secession he I think he was talking about the form of government that we could keep. Um, no, I, I, no that, I didn't mean to make that. Right, I didn't. I didn't mean to make right. that. Uh, you know, that connection that he meant that. I just mean that this would be the moment in time in which we were unable to keep our republic together. Right. And uh, you know, and again, that, yeah. that we may it, splinter. Go ahead. And and you know, there are. He's not alone. He um, was one of the one of the few that have articulated. But there have been a lot of people who've been talking about that. That's been floated for a couple of months now. Um, yeah. Practically speaking, and I don't like to be the guy who kind of tamps things down all the time. I do think that there should be a robust discussion of a whole, whole host of alternatives. But I think on a practical basis, um, I don't think that that's viable. I think what's more important is that those of us who do believe in the rule of law, believe in the Constitution, believe in the United States of America. Because what we're seeing now is a transformation that doesn't even remotely appear to be anything what we believe to be the United States of America. It needs to need to stand firm, stand up, stand strong, as opposed to many of our Republican office holders who want to go hiding. Again, the one-way liberal ratchet. They go heading for the hills whenever there's a little bit of controversy, but you have to give the left credit. They stand firm and try to you know get more and more and more of their agenda passed. And they're, they're not apologetic for it either. They don't care. The difference right now is that we don't have a significant check and balances. The media is called the fourth estate for a reason. Um, without a media to call balls and strikes, the Republicans become even more cowed because they know they're not going to get a fair hearing in the court of public opinion. The media is going to put a thumb out, not a thumb on the scale. They're going to find the uh, biggest person they can and put that person on the scale. And it makes it an uphill battle for office holders who rely on um, votes, for example, that that are driven to some extent and large extent by what's being reported. They get nervous about taking any kind of action that's contrary to what the media narrative is. We're, however, in such a critical juncture at this point that patriots need to stand firm, make minor sacrifices. We're not asking anybody to, you know, uh, jeopardize their lives or limbs, we're asking people to take firm patriotic stands in the name of justice and the truth and not fold on these things. Whenever, you know, to the extent, as as Jim Jordan said, we have to have a debate. Now, for most lay people out here, they're going, debate? Who cares about debate? We want results. Well, debate doesn't necessarily yield results immediately, but debates can forestall the further encroachment by the left on American ideals and also incrementally advance our agenda. It may not happen in this Congress, but in the next Congress. And for Republicans, they have to understand one of the reasons why Trump is so beloved by a significant percentage of the Republican base, more so than any president of my lifetime, is because he fought for them. He stood firm and never backed down. What George W. Bush didn't understand is when he would be apologetic or back down. It wasn't about him, 
those of us who had stood out there, put our necks on the line supporting his agenda and his position, felt as if he had pulled the rug out from underneath us, and we hated that. Trump did not do that. Trump, in fact, would go even further in, in protection of his constituency and furtherance of the Constitution, despite what everyone is talking about. It's not Trump who is violating constitutions or doing things that were autocratic. So it's important that more than just a Donald Trump stand for the rule of law, stand for the Constitution, stand for the people who voted for him and were voting for preservation of the Constitution. This is an important juncture in time. Now, whether or not Jim Jordan is correct that there can be any kind of uh, change to the outcome, and again, I read the, the Constitution for you, we've gone through some of the procedures, uh, you know, I, I still think that there's not going to be the political will to do that, even if it's constitutionally permissible. But it, the exercise itself, the process, as I indicated, is imperative because that type of transparency and hygiene is the thing we need in an era when the, the press isn't going to provide it to us. We don't have a fourth estate anymore. They are completely owned adjunct of the left, not just the Democratic Party, the left. And I mean they have thrown in with the far left. We have never heard the kind of lunacy and insanity that's coming from political and media quarters that we're hearing today. Yeah, uh, very, very well articulated, Pete. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm as frustrated as, as anybody else. I want to fight. I want to also recognize what the fight is before us and the best chance we have now. And we didn't talk much about this, Pete, but just uh, do you have a gut feeling on whether or not we're going to hold both Purdue and Leffler seats in Georgia to make Italy? Because I've said before you came on the air, as we talk about all of this negativity of theft and, and the stats you've quoted, at the end of the day, we can survive four years. We can. We survived eight of Obama, and the way we did that is in 2010, you know, two years after Obama was elected, a landslide, a shellacking, I think was the word that he used, Obama used, uh, was handed down by the voters. They put the Tea Party into power, into the Congress, and we were able to, you know, kind of stave off most of the damage that Barack Obama wanted to do. I think we can do the same thing here if we have that Senate, you know, uh, final line of defense, if you will. If we have that uh, firewall, I think we can survive four years of Harris-Biden, Biden-Harris. Um, if not, now we're into that place that we just discussed. Um, what's your gut tell you about, you know, especially given the... And let me throw this to you real quick before you answer it. Stacey Abrams is bragging about 1.2 million absentee ballots already being collected or uh, at least requested, they only had 1.3 million in Georgia for the entire uh, presidential election. Now they've already got 1.2 million, and she says that almost all of these are people of color and Democrats um, voting for uh, Ossoff and Warnock. So with that as the backdrop of the question, Pete, what's your confidence level that we hold that line? It's 51% only. It's going to be extremely close. We're at least aware that they're going to try to manipulate this election, do everything they can. We've unfortunately got this mail ballot issue that the Republicans have not gotten a handle on. But I do think we'll prevail. But it's going to be very, very close. And if we don't, you're exactly right, Bob. We're in a different environment than we've ever been before when, uh, on other occasions when the Democrats have held all three, you know, the, Dem- the House, the Senate, and the presidency. This time, there are two big differences. Number one is the left has gone so far to the left. And they've enunciated precisely what they want to do. And number two is, again, the fourth estate. There is no check and balance on them. So they will do whatever they can to consolidate their power. And it's going to be profound. They will do those things necessary to make 
make it almost irreversible. We need to be very concerned, and because we are very concerned, I think it's a little bit of a wake-up call for the voters of Georgia that will give us or get us over the hump. But the fight won't be concluded at that point. Republicans always think that when you win, okay, that fight is over. No, it's not. The left understands the fight's never over. There's no permanent victories, no permanent losses, and we've got to keep fighting, 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 and I would exhort your audience. I'd never do this. I, I, you know, I've only once given money to a campaign, um, but we need to have all hands on deck for this. It's that important. I said the same thing yesterday. If you gave money to President Trump or if you gave money, money to any one of your congressional candidates that you could vote for, good. But now it's time to give some that you can't vote for. We can't go down to Georgia and pull a lever, but we can send money down there to encourage all Georgian Republicans and people, quite frankly, who are Americans to do that on all of our behalf. So I completely concur. Peter Kirsten, out. thank you, my friend. It's always great listening to you. And uh, I, yeah, we have one more before Christmas. OK, I'll talk to you again next week. But Merry Christmas anyway. Take care, Bob. Thank you. Pete. That's Kirsten now at AM 1420. The answer we will be back. Okay, 10.56. Great information there by Peter Kersenow, as always. Um, he just, uh, he's got a handle on it better than most people do. Uh, pretty much any matter, particularly when it comes to the Constitution or legal matters, he's, uh, he's got a handle on it. He says, yeah, you know, he says it's not, it's not been done. Um, it's not what we normally do, but we can continue the fight. He told me yesterday on Hugh Hewitt, too, that we should fight uh, until, the, uh, until the last dog is dead. And uh, I don't know if I like that metaphor exactly, but I understand his point, and I agree with it. Yeah, fight on. But here's the other thing. Do so knowing that they're not fighting back. Do so knowing that they have already dismissed this and declared victory. And uh, there's an appetite in the country for this to all be over with. There is. Maybe not among diehard Trump supporters, but among the general population, uh, there's an appetite for this to be over. So it's a very, very uphill climb, which means... If we must do the unthinkable and accept the fact that there's... You don't have to accept a Biden victory because it was a theft. But if we have to accept a Biden presidency that it's coming, what can we do to minimize the damage? And that is Georgia. And that is why Pete ended his conversation with me by saying, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm uh, you know, not necessarily uh, looking to tell people how to spend their money. Uh, but if you do donate to political campaigns, donate to this political campaign. Donate to Purdue, donate to Leffler, and make sure you stop the Democrats from profiting even more from their theft by getting the Senate in addition to uh, the presidency. Sister Mary Grace is in Old Brooklyn on AM 1420, The Answer, with a Uh-oh. final prayer for us, I think. Right, Sister? Well, God bless you. I'm so blessed. I love Peter personally. Never met him, I but do he's too. a very fine man. And he articulates everything so well. But I say one thing to all of you. Fervent prayers of righteous men and women avail as much. And I'm telling you, there's people all across this nation praying for our President Trump. And I will tell you, there's going to be Holy Ghost revival. And I'm praying for revival. Because you know what? We have to stand for the man who is standing for us. If it wasn't him, it would be us. 
and I'm so understanding. Well, I'll tell you what, we can take all of it, and uh, Sister Mary Grace, thank you. We can take all of the blessings that anybody wants to offer us right now because we do need it. Our nation needs God's grace, and uh, I think it is time for us to ask for it. Thank you so much for the call. Thank you to Peter. Thank you to the crew. Thanks, thank, thanks to you, rather, for listening. Be back with us tomorrow at 9 a.m. for the next